and welcome to episode four of Ross is Just Saying. This edition is brought to you in association with our sponsors, Mendip Mobility. Now, today's podcast is a little different from usual in that I have with me here in the studio a very special guest and online another one. So firstly, I apologise for the lack of editing, the rustle of papers, that will be my notes, and returning to the way that I used to do things back in the days of radio. Yes, folks, this one's live, or at least it was when it was recorded. Together, we're going to discuss how artificial intelligence, or AI, is going to affect our lives, both at home and in the workplace. And also, we'll have a look at the longer-term view of the listeners, the experts, and of course, my studio guest. I'm sure there'll be a few rants from me, too, along the way. You have been warned. So rather than introduce my guest myself, I thought I'd hand the job over to our other guest, artificial intelligence itself. So I asked ChatGPT to introduce her. Liz Williams is a British author known for her contributions to science fiction and fantasy literature. She was born on February 17, 1965, in Brighton, England. Liz has a diverse background, having worked as a journalist, a lecturer in both English and philosophy, and even as a karate instructor. Her writing often combines elements of science fiction, fantasy, and the supernatural, creating unique and imaginative worlds. Williams' works frequently explore themes related to technology, spirituality, and the human condition. One of her well-known series is the Detective Inspector Chen series, set in a futuristic Singapore 3 where celestial beings and the mundane coexist. The series follows the adventures of the eponymous Detective Inspector Chen, who navigates a world full of gods, demons, and complex political intrigues. Liz Williams has received critical acclaim for her writing, earning nominations for prestigious awards in the science fiction and fantasy genres. Her work has garnered recognition from readers and peers alike for its originality, character-driven storytelling, and thought-provoking ideas. Liz Williams studied philosophy and English at the University of Cambridge. She has a diverse academic background and holds degrees in these two disciplines. This educational foundation may have influenced her writing style and allowed her to explore complex philosophical and literary themes in her science fiction and fantasy works. Well, just saying is one thing, isn't it? We'll be hearing some more from our AI friend later. The quality was bloody awful, wasn't it? And I think AI's got some way to go. But anyway, Liz Williams, thanks for joining me in the studio today. Very special live recording, background noises and possible cat could be included, knowing what he's like. But welcome all to the podcast. Liz, what do you make of your introduction by ChatGPT and its little helper? Well, you can tell it was the free version is all I can say. <laughs> and it's um, it's interesting to hear. And I do know a number of fellow writers who've tried to do the same sort of thing with their biographies or their autobiographies. Um, but an awful lot of that is wrong. It's got the date of my birth wrong. Um, it's got the place of my birth wrong for starters. The stuff on the Chen series is actually relatively accurate although I think it's probably just lifted that wholesale from a site that describes the text. Hmm. And that is essentially what ChatGPT does. 
Yes, yeah. It did the same with me. It got my birth date wrong. It right. got a lot of stuff about ghost detectives and paranormal work and whatever, but it also got a lot of the other facts wrong as well. So I think it's something we need to bear in mind is that this thing's still in its infancy. Oh, totally. Uh, but yes. what we're going to be talking about in the show is where it could go from here. But I just want to quickly read you um, something else that it said. When, now, ChatGPT, for anyone who doesn't know, is not the actual voice you heard. That's another system that I use to transfer from text to voice but chat gpt itself comes out in text and and i have to say it it was very very quick when i asked it a question Um, the question i asked was um what's your thoughts on artificial intelligence now asking ai that particular question i didn't really know what to expect but this is what i got as an ai language model i don't possess personal thoughts or consciousness like humans do However, I can provide information and perspectives on artificial intelligence, brackets AI. Artificial intelligence is an exciting and rapidly advancing field that focuses on developing computer systems capable of performing tasks that would typically require human intelligence. AI encompasses various subfields such as machine learning, natural language processing, computer vision, robotics and more. AI has the potential to revolutionise numerous industries and aspects of our daily lives. It's already made significant contributions in areas like healthcare, finance, transportation and entertainment. AI-powered systems can analyse vast amounts of data, detect, (laughs) that actually might come back to haunt us, that one, it could defect, Uh, detect patterns, make predictions, automate processes and assist in decision-making. However, AI also presents certain challenges and considerations, ethical concerns regarding privacy, bias and job displacement have emerged and it's important to ensure that AI systems are transparent, accountable and unbiased, striking a balance between technological advancement and human well-being is crucial. Additionally, discussions around AI's impact on the workforce and the job market are ongoing. And while AI has the potential to automate certain tasks and jobs, it can also create new opportunities and roles. Society will need to adapt to these changes by reskilling and upskilling the workforce. Furthermore, there's ongoing debates about the future of AI and the potential risks associated with advanced artificial general intelligence AGI systems, ensuring that AGI systems are developed and deployed with robust safety measures and aligned with human values is a significant focus within AI research communities. Overall, artificial intelligence holds immense promise and potential with responsible development ethical considerations and effective regulations, AI can contribute to solving complex problems, improving efficiency and enhancing human lives in various domains. Liz, what do you think? Overall, that's actually reasonably accurate. It's a lot more accurate than my biography. Don't expect a black belt from me anytime soon. (laughs) Um, Now, the the analysis of where it, it comes from is pretty apt. Um, I didn't do a degree in English. I actually did do a degree in artificial intelligence um, way back in 1988. And those were the main fields of interest, natural language processing, machine learning, robotic vision and um, robotics generally. People were talking about the ethical applications of it. And I know a number of people at the time were quite worried about the ethical applications of it. But in the intervening years, the process of um, AI, which is a bit of a misnomer, it's just very, very fast, effective processing 
um, chat GPT is quite correct in that it doesn't have awareness or consciousness in the same way that we do. That has taken a real sort of step forward because of two things. One is big data, and that's the amount of material it's got to work with. And that's come about because of the Internet. You know, there's an enormous amount of stuff on the Internet. And the other is very, very fast processing, which previously computer chips couldn't really do. They couldn't keep up with it because they didn't have the power. Now they do. So I think that's actually a reasonably apt take on it. Yeah, uh, it seems to have got the grasp. Yes, but, it's quite um, balanced, actually, surprisingly, perhaps. My, my concerns here, I suppose, like most people, I've had a lot of emails and things come mm. in about this, which we'll go on to later, um, or comments on Facebook on the page. But my main concerns here are of how it's going to affect us directly. Now, yes. this is both at home and in the workplace. Now, I can see advantages straight away. Uh, the speed that ChatGPT came back to me with answers was impressive, there's no question. Uh, and a lot of the facts were right, and as you say, some were wrong. It got my birth date wrong as well when right. I put my um, question in, uh, introduced me. So I, I think there's still a lot to learn, but then we also have to uh, remember that ChatGPT was programmed for PC up until 2021, so unless you update the, the app to the latest version, mm. you're only going to get part of the picture. Um, and it will be picking up from sites that may have listed stuff wrongly in the first place. Absolutely. It's um, the, the old garbage in, garbage out. Mm. You know, if the information that it takes in is incorrect, then it can't recognise that at mm. this stage. Having said that, it is learning. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's essentially what we're doing. It's what we do when we use Google. You know, you type something into Google... Um, you say, I don't know, what did I do this morning? Um, how far is it from cows to the Fastnet lighthouse? Because mm -hmm. I'm watching the well, the Rourke ocean racing at the moment. And Google came up with a list of options, some of which were pretty helpful and some of which weren't. Mm. Now, I'm actually training Google because the next person who asks is going to get a slightly more refined version of that. And bear in mind, you know, it's not going to be the next person, but the next thousand people. Yes. Yeah. yeah you know, exactly. So that's essentially how these systems work. You know, I we're partly training them. They're training themselves. I think there's a danger there as well, because as you rightly say, it's picking up from other information. It's learning along the way. So if somebody was to come on and accuse you of all, all sorts of criminal doings yes. and wrongdoings in the past, um, it could pick up on that and put it within a biog. Absolutely. And the other issue, um, which is a really big one that so I know crime agencies are taking very seriously is deep fakes. Yes. Yeah. And that's more to do with vision and photographic misrepresentation than it is to do with chat GPT and its ilk itself. Mm. But that is very, very worrying. Yes, they've just actually launched something this morning on uh, BBC. Right. Um, a checker for that, for deep fakes. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, there is a checker for G chat GPT, actually, but there are several checkers. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a chicken and an egg, which moves faster. Yes. Which yeah. adapts to which, really. Mm -hmm. And I know it's been a big concern for a lot of um, my friends who are academics and who are teachers in that they're already seeing essays that have been written by ChatGPT. Now, your average dumb 14-year-old is a bit too dumb to realise that um, from barely being able to write his name to suddenly producing um, you know, an essay on Heidegger's uh, theory of whatever is mm. going to be a little bit obvious to his teacher. Um, but that's only a matter of time, perhaps. Mm. 
it could be couldn't it now you see my worry here Liz and you know a lot more about AI than I do um, I've done a bit of research for this program but beyond that really don't uh, know a great deal about it and don't claim to but my worry here is where this could lead to um, yes. now I've seen at uh, a place you're familiar with actually in the Forest of Dean a factory that was converted to robotic technology uh, where a lot of people were laid off yes. the robots are actually picking all the loads in the warehouse and bringing them out so basically there's one person programming the robots another person outside on the forklift loading the trucks but in between all those jobs mm -hmm. are gone how do you think that's going to work in our favor it's going to work in the favor of whoever owns the factory but it's not going to work in the favor of the workforce because I don't think anybody has really started to get to grips, apart from a few people, and certainly not very many politicians, with the actual impact of this on the workforce. Mm -hmm. And I listen to, um, not a rival podcast exactly, but uh, Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell. And Rory Stewart has been quite vocal about this and said that very few politicians are really engaging with this. Mm. Because if it's right down from the top, so you have people in the financial sector laid off because a computer can do something faster than they can in terms of trading. Mm. You know, that it's revolutionised the trading floor, stocks and shares. And that goes right the way down through the ranks to your average shelf stacker. Mm -hmm. Before I came in here, I went into Tesco and there's now one person, a human being, on yeah, the checkout. Yeah. The rest of the checkouts are automated. Mm. Now, what happened to those other people? I went into Street, which is a neighbouring town, and um, that was on, when was it, Friday? Had to go to the dentist, walked past the bank. My bank has closed. Oh, dear. Yes, that's and happening everywhere Yes, well. it's happening everywhere as well. Now, I gather that um, the staff have been rehomed in Wells and other places. But where does that stop? Mm. So what we're looking at is a kind of piecemeal but very comprehensive process of automation and digitalization hmm. and i think we've got to ask where the average human being comes out yeah. at the end of this you've done truck driving you know all about self-driving trucks hmm. self-driving cars exactly you know where does that leave taxi drivers hmm. i think they're trialing um self-driving taxis in Milton Keynes I think at the moment. Well do you know what worries me the most about this and I'm going to take this to the extreme view now mm. because let's look at both ends of this you know we can understand that some some of this is already happening there was a great uproar uh, about people not having enough tills open and having yes. to use self-service tills that's gone quiet now people have just got used to it. Yes railway same, stations as well. Yeah the same way as people are getting used to uh, banking online and we're moving towards or being forced to move towards a cashless society yes because all this uh, ai stuff is going to be a great help to that particular yeah. venture further down the line but we sort of walk almost sleepwalk into these things and then allow them to happen we don't tend to to stop them happening now let's take it one stage further and say we're 20 years maybe even less i don't know down the line and so many people have no longer got jobs that we've suddenly got a population problem because how do we pay these people when they can't work, can't find employment? Because the benefit system will break. The pension system will break. We're going to have possibly millions of people unemployed, wandering in the streets with nothing to do. Now, they're either going to go online and game and sit at home and get terribly fat and die early, <laughs> which is one perspective. I think some of them are doing that now. <laughs> well, that's true. It could be said. Or we're going to end up with a Logan's Run style society mm. where there's got to be a cutoff where we just have to get rid of people. 
And I fear that because I actually believe in the back of my mind that that is actually a real possibility. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I was reading something that Mark Zuckerberg is alleged to have said the other day, that 99% of people are effectively useless. And I don't know whether he did actually say that or whether that's an urban myth. I haven't really had time to check it and I don't want to malign the guy. But I think he is not the only person, if he did say it, who is starting to say things like, what are all these people actually for? Hmm. Because I won't say that I'm a Marxist, uh, but I think it's essentially Marxism is a great diagnostic tool, but not a very good cure. Hmm. But let's say that it is a diagnostic tool. People are workers in the society. You know, most societies are capitalist to some extent, mm-hmm. um, and with the exception of places like North Korea. But if you have a society in which everything is automated, then what do people do? Now, it's all very well to sort of be hand-wavy about, oh, they'll be upskilled. I think the emerging consensus is that they're going to be downskilled yes, yeah. fairly quickly. And a lot of the things that we think of as actually quite safe, like being a nurse or being a care worker... They talk, they're talking about robots for that as well. Mm. And there are already robot therapists. Um, Eliza got a lot of press recently with um, it's a computer program. You ask it a psychological question and it comes out with a, a set of responses. I had to write a version of Eliza. We all did when I was working in AI in 1988. It's a really simple program. A lot of these programs are quite simple, but they're very impressive. And already I know therapists who are being put out of a job. No, I'm going to stop you on that point because I actually had an email, well, not an email, sorry, a question on Facebook on that subject. So let's bring that in mm. now. Um, John Farrell said, uh, AI is developing so fast, I think it's impossible to say how influential it will be in society. It will be immense, but how immense? The effect is already changing certain fields. Education will be overrun by AI, but our ability to think will go the other way. The arts field will be impacted. Where can I design my own images, which last year I would have had to pay somebody to do? Could I now do this with AI? Certainly a lot of jobs will be redefined, but the core hands-on jobs such as nursing, labouring, etc. are jobs that cannot be done by AI, by AI, but are critical to the economy. This imbalance in wages needs to be addressed. Now, that sort of contradicts what you've just said, doesn't it? Because nursing and surgery will be able to be done by AI. Yeah, they'll be able to be done by robots. Mm-hmm. And if you think that's far-fetched, then yes, it does sound far-fetched at the moment. But I think you've got to keep a really careful eye on it. I do agree with John, actually. I think a lot of what he says is absolutely right. Um, but I would take it a step further and say that, um, you know, in terms of care work, they're already talking about robots doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Gary Pulley goes on from that comment and says, I wouldn't be too confident of labouring and nursing jobs Mm. being safe. Imagine a machine that makes zero mistakes in surgery. There are more machines in the building workplace than than there was when I left school in 1982, he says. I can foresee that sometime in the future there will be less people required on building sites, Mm -hmm. and the same goes for our hospitals. Education is on the rise at the moment, but there's a lot more to learn as time goes by. It's already reached the point where the Welsh Government are considering increasing the length of the school year by reducing holidays. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think you have to got you've got now to ask educating them for what? Mm, You know, do we have a lifelong learning program uh, with a universal income in which people are essentially paid to get to stay at home and learn or 
watch Netflix or whatever. <laughs> uh, but then where does the money come from? Exactly. Yeah, this is the thing. You've got to bear in mind that a population paying into a tax and NI yeah. system are creating the money for the benefits and for the NHS and for other welfare, for disabled people, etc., etc. If people are not paying into that fund, where yes. is that money coming from? Where is that money coming from? And I think there's also a big ethical argument about meaningful existences. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people complain about their jobs, but they still like to work. Mm. Would they work if they weren't paid? A lot of them wouldn't, but quite a lot of people do actually mm. like to work. Um, I had a conversation yesterday on a ship, which is a volunteer-run um, cruise ship. It's, it's a tiny little steamer. It's mm. actually a steamship. And the woman talking to us said that she was somebody who actually worked in the Caribbean on one of these mega ships, these massive cruise ships. But she's on holiday at the moment. And how does she spend her time? She goes down to Southampton docks and she works voluntarily on a cruise ship because she loves it. She loves being on the water. She loves people. She likes interacting with people. This is an actual vocation for a lot of people. um, Nurses, I don't think, are paid nearly enough, but it's still a vocation. Mm -hmm. Doctors, it's a vocation. A lot of lawyers, actually, although they are well paid and we all kind of sneer at them, it's a vocation. What happens to that meaningful existence when that's taken away from people? Exactly. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to hand over to our sponsors for this quick word. Mendip Mobility Limited, established in 2007. Mendip Mobility Limited are keen to spend some time with everyone who comes through our doors and to make sure you get exactly what you require. Discuss your options and needs, provide demonstrations both in-store and at home to make sure the products you purchase are perfect for your needs. We strive to give a one-stop shop environment for your specific requirements and have chosen our supply partners carefully, thereby ensuring continuity in quality and supply with excellent backup capabilities. Our staff are knowledgeable, friendly, but not pushy. You are able to see most of our products on the website, but our advice is it's always better to come into the shops and see for yourself and ensure that what you are getting is what you need and want. We are very proud of our top-notch servicing and maintenance team offering an excellent, fast, efficient aftercare service. Some would say the best in the southwest. We are also your local Motability Scheme dealership covering both Somerset and Wiltshire. Find us at 146 High Street in Street, Somerset, 41 Forest Hill, Yeovil and 2B Patscroft Way, Trowbridge. Or call us on 01458 448 355. Visit the website at menditmobility.co.uk. Right, Liz, um, we're talking medical and uh, nursing just before the break there. And it's an interesting area because I've heard that they're doing research at the moment, and this is AI we're talking about, on cures for things like Alzheimer's and dementia. What, what, what can you tell us about this? It's not an area in which I'm expert, but a lot of information has been coming out about it recently. And it, it applies in a number of areas because part of this is about this enormous amount of data and very fast processing power. If you have to ask researchers, human researchers, to trawl through vast reams of data about, say, a medical condition, and these are based on lots and lots of patients, um, lots of their records, all sorts of things, 
it's going to take them a long time and it's going to be very expensive. And that expense is passed on to the customer, essentially the patient, in terms of pharmaceutical costs. Whereas an AI does seem to be able to actually come up with some quite significant material very, very quickly. Mm. So I think that's one area in which we might be benefited by it. And I know that Rory Stewart has been talking about doctors in remote areas. So, for example, if you're in some African countries, it's a long way to a local clinic. Mm. You may not be able to get medical care. You possibly do have a smartphone. So medical online businesses are absolutely booming at the moment, the digital doctor. And whether those are a human being on the other end of it or whether that's actually an AI, that could potentially prove really quite useful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think some of the early editions of the medical online stuff have been poor purely because people will put into it what they want to get out to a degree so if i give you an example if somebody uses an online diagnosis mm. because they don't want to go to their doctor and they say i've got this terrible pain it's in my right foot a friend of mine said it might be this or whatever um, is that not going to lead ai to give a totally incorrect and possibly dangerous diagnosis yes i think you've got to be very careful about the parameters and i think in the cases where it has been successful i suspect that it's been guided machine learning. So they haven't just let it loose on the internet mm -hmm. and allowed it to do its own thing. Because I completely agree, actually. You have had medical systems that have essentially behaved like the chat GPT version mm -hmm. that we looked at, and it's come out with erroneous stuff. Now, if you're talking about me and my biography, it's quite amusing. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about a potential cure for throat cancer, it absolutely does matter. Absolutely it can't right. get that wrong. Mm. So I think it's got to be very, very carefully monitored. And of course, the, the doctors and the medical experts are those people who will be able to monitor it. Do you think it's possibly unsafe in that this information is being fed into AI um, as to where it actually goes to? Because if there was a security leak or a hack that could get inside the AI mind, so to speak, uh, and be able to get information that's being given to, to AI, how dangerous is that to society? It's potentially dangerous. And you've had quite a lot of instances of uh, ransomware demands being made on hospitals. And there is also a massive amount of uh, privacy and privacy concerns in this. I think there were problems with um, some of the information that was getting sent into one of the versions of Google. Um, from patients' records, you know, you should be able to opt in and opt out of this stuff. Mm. And we are kind of fighting to an extent for the opting out mm. because otherwise there's a danger that patients' records are just going to be plundered wholesale. Exactly. And they say that your address isn't included, but, uh, <laughs> well, in practice, I'm afraid sometimes it is. Well, my wife and I did an experiment a little while ago, which I think we may have told you about, um, with regards to talking in our living room about things that bore no resemblance to what we were actually doing like we'd have a conversation about dentures and right. neither of us have dentures and then we'd have a conversation about bomb making we we do things that would alert anything smart that may pick up voice or track and it was amazing the emails we suddenly started to get for mm -hmm. denture toothpaste and for chemicals um, and even at one point I got blocked on Facebook because it had picked up that I'd mentioned the word bomb. Yes I don't um, think that the protestations that this is not happening and it's completely coincidental um, on the part of some of these companies ring entirely true. No absolutely not. And mm. I do know quite a lot of people who work in IT who don't have smart devices in their houses. Mm. 
exactly uh, right. precisely for this reason. They're a bit too smart for my liking. Yeah, I mean, sure. if you're, I, I know for a fact, having done a little bit of um, work in the security industry on this one, that um, your smart light bulb will send information to 28 countries. <laughs> Why That's is it doing that? Liz. What that is sort really of frightening. yeah? It is terrifying. That's your light bulb. Who knows what your fridge is getting up to? Oh God! And I'm very averse to having um, smart devices in my house. And I'm afraid if I want to talk about anything very private, I go out into the countryside without my phone. Mm. And yeah, I talk the about it the there. Worst offender, isn't it? Yeah, the phone's the worst offender. I mean, I, I do find it a little bit funny that some of the more egregious conspiracy theorists are, are claiming that. Uh, you know, 4G will listen into them or something. Well, <laughs> don't have a phone, guys. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's the whole biggest other, Trojan that's horse. That's a whole other show. That's there, a whole other really, show, really. Yeah. yeah. But um, but no, things are picking up on this information. There's no question, and it's beyond coincidence that you talk about a subject or you put a search into Google, and then you suddenly get all the adverts associated with it. So we know it goes on, whether it be your smart television, your smartphone, even perhaps your smart water meter. I don't know. Um, we've steered clear of it for that reason. I yes. don't think we've got anything other than the telly and the phones in this house that's particularly smart. I'm and, and your not. laptops. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, of course, the laptops. Yeah, your laptops, yeah. yes. That's, you want to yeah, be careful of prob- those. Probably a whole lot more than I think about. I've got a smart guitar up there. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Worrying. Right, um, we're talking about the dangers, things like espionage, stuff that can happen off AI by... Let's, you mentioned just now 28 different countries picking up on something. So mm. let, let's look at warfare mm. uh, and ammunitions because AI is being used. You showed me a video recently of a dog, yes, uh, a robot dog, which frightened the hell out of me. I've not forgotten that video. Um, tell us a little bit about it for the listeners out there, about what's happening in uh, war technology and uh, ammunitions. Yeah, it's absolutely chilling. And for anybody who seriously wants to go into this, I would actually recommend the last iteration of the Wreath Lectures, which happen at Christmas on the BBC, the light recording programme. But um, this was an American professor in artificial intelligence doing the the series of four wreath lectures, and one of those was on warfare. And I really recommend that because it's very, very alarming. If you go to Google and you put in, I think it's it's Cambridge Analytics, um, it's something like that. It's one of the Massachusetts-based robotics companies. If you put in Cambridge and then the song title, Do You Love Me?, and then robots, uh, what you see will considerably surprise you. It's a series of robots who are used in the packing industries and um, other other fields doing a little dance to the tune of Do You Love Me? I can't remember which band it was. You would know, Ross. Yeah, um, you've got me on the top now. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. It's a really really well-known song. It doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Um, But what does matter is what the robots can do and the dexterity with which they perform this song um, is really quite alarming. And one of the little robot dogs, I think they show it carrying a package from one place to another. I've seen that dog of one very one much like it with a rifle mounted on its back yes yeah and the thought of that coming down the road towards you is really alarming you know you, you want to start looking at how this stuff can be used adversely because believe me plenty of people out there are thinking about that yes well uh, there's always been money in war and munitions there's no question yes. about it and if they can use it for that they will which which leads me on really to the next question of are we likely to see something like a nuclear war or a very serious um, conflict that could be caused maybe even accidentally maybe by a rogue captain or commander using AI? It depends how easy a guided missile would be to hack. 
Um, it happens in James Bond all the time. Mm. And I think an awful lot of the th stuff that we're worried about has actually appeared in 007 movies, interestingly <laughs> enough. It's kind of a, it's a little bit ahead of their time because that's what they're in the business of doing. But um, whether it could actually happen, I don't know. But I don't really like the odds. No, definitely I think not. it's a little bit too plausible. Well, I mean, 20 years ago, maybe not, but now it's getting more and more plausible every day. <laughs> let's cheer the listeners up a bit. We've talked about yes. war. We've talked about cancer and Alzheimer's. So let's lighten it up a little now. Uh, let's go back to chat GPT. Uh, I asked a question before you came in, so I'm going to spring this one on you. Um, dear chat GPT, how do you think AI can help or hinder a science fiction author like Liz Williams? This is what it come up with. AI can both help and hinder a science fiction author in their creative process, and here's how. Help. One, idea generation. AI can assist in generating ideas and inspiration for science fiction authors by analysing vast amounts of existing literature. AI algorithms can also suggest new concepts, themes or storylines that authors can build upon. It goes on to say that research assistants, writing science fiction often requires a solid understanding of scientific concepts and technologies. AI-powered tools can aid authors in conducting research by quickly gathering and organising relevant information from various sources. And it then goes on to give some other tips. It then goes on to hinder over-reliance and loss of creativity, lack of originality, ethical dilemmas all of which can be generated by AI. Now, you're an author, an award-nominated author on numerous occasions. Yes, I got very, that right. A very, very good one. Um, so it's a good chance now to plug your book. Thank you. But also <laughs> to explain how you think AI may or may not hinder you in the work you do. Well, it's already hindered me substantially by cutting a lot of my income. Oh. Um, I do content <laughs> writing for a website, and I was replaced partly on that by ChatGPT earlier on in this year. So I can't concentrate on my novels as much as I would like because I'm no longer getting paid. Mm. That happened to me with voiceovers. So yes, I exactly. Yes, yeah. and it's happened to musicians a lot, and it's mm. happening to artists. You know, it's right across the board. So there's there's a a bit of um, economic woe associated mm. with it. I think any writer will tell you that they write because it's part of their creativity and they want to exercise that creativity. And most writers have had the experience of having somebody come up to them at a party and saying, I've had a really fantastic idea. And they come out with an idea that is A, not fantastic, and B, you don't want to use it anyway because the trouble is you've got far too many ideas of your own. Mm. And, and science fiction writers issue. don't need this. Yeah, there's a copyright issue. Because I get people want to play me their songs. Right. And once they have, if I write something similar, they'll sue me. Absolutely. So we have that problem straight away. But sorry, carry on. No, that's absolutely correct. There is a copyright issue. And the, the copyright issue with... Uh, things like Midjourney and the big AI art programs is absolutely massive. Mm. And it's going to apply to ChatGPT as well. And I think we do need to say that ChatGPT is not just about text, it's about code. Mm. So I know a few f programmers who are a bit worried about their jobs as well. Yes, I can imagine. Mm. So really, um, the only thing it can do for me as a science fiction writer is to provide terrible examples with which to run uh, for my work. <laughs> 
As for looking at the scientific inquiry side of things, I wouldn't trust it. No. This uh, is a trouble. It sounds to me like it would be more of a hindrance than a help. Re- I think regardless so. Regardless of what it's just said on there. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, tell us about the book, because at the moment you've got uh, a series of books out, the Fallow Sisters novels. There's four in the series. Um, and the latest one's just been put on release. Tell us a bit about it. Yes, yeah, Salt on the Midnight Fire. It's a quartet, so you do need to read them in order, starting with Comet Weather. They have no AI in them whatsoever, although a couple of people do use mobile phones. <laughs> Good to hear. So I think, yes, it's, um, it's not really within the science fiction remit, but it's definitely within the fantasy remit. Excellent. Where can people get hold of them? Newcon Press. Excellent. And that's N-E-W, separate word, C-O-N, Press. And they're Super. based up in Northampton and doing a fantastic job. Fantastic. I think they're also on Amazon now yes, as well. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. Cambridgeshire rather than Northamptonshire now. Brilliant. Okay, now I want to move on to dating. Mm. And uh, this is an area, obviously, first thing that springs to mind is, oh, yeah, AI and dating, it's going to be porn. No, if that's your thing, you're on the wrong podcast, I'm afraid. Um, This is about an article that was in The Guardian the other day. um, And it was quite interesting because it came up with a site um, or an an app called Replica. um, And it was to do with an influencer called Karen Marjorie who launched an AI girlfriend and trained her voice and built on extensive YouTube libraries. Now the idea of this is for people that want a companion um, that they can talk to, chat with, share problems with, maybe have intimate conversations with but basically they don't want a real person. They, they may face uh, emotional difficulties of having a one-to-one relationship. They may be depressive and they don't go through the right process to maintain a relationship. Or it might just be they can't find anyone. Maybe they're pug ugly. I don't know. There's various reasons why people might not enter a relationship. But what's AI got to offer on this, Liz? Is it a good thing or a bad thing for a relationship? 30 years ago, my dear friend Peter Garrett, who is sadly no longer with us, uh, wrote a short story which was published in Interzone about a group of men and a couple of women rather like ourselves meeting up in the pub every Friday night to talk about science fiction and other things. And the guys all brought along with them in this story a robot girlfriend. And there were a couple of people in this particular story who were wealthier than others and could afford a top-of-the-range robot girlfriend and a couple who could really only afford the sort of Windows 2 version. Uh, So she wasn't terribly coherent either and she wasn't a very good robot and she dropped pints and basically put her foot in it socially. And every time anybody mentions robot dating or digital dating, I just have this vision of the robot girlfriend who was a very low-grade robot girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's uh, it's probably come on a little bit since then. I know that um, I do know people who treat Alexa as a kind of friend mm. and Siri, and they there's talk to them. Device, device yeah, there's another smart device. Yeah, there's another smart. Yeah, there's another smart device. I won't trust. I've disabled it on the laptop. I don't want it in the house. Yeah. Uh, it's not real, mm. and I think that's partly the appeal, but it's also partly the problem. Yeah, you know, is it just a mirror? It is, to a degree, I think, and and the problems here are so wide and varied. I'd like to talk a lot more on this subject, but unfortunately running out of time. Mm. So I think there's an addition to of this, Liz, because I've still got about another 12 pages of notes here. Okay. We're we're, we're up on time. Uh, I normally do the podcast between 30 and 40 minutes, and we're at 38 already. So I think we're going to probably have to call it a day there. But what I would say, let's wrap up with the fact of, 
how disastrous or how good is AI going to be over the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years? Impossible to predict. I think there are going to be great advantages, but I think the ethical issues, the employment issues, the technological issues, and some of the issues that you alluded to earlier, like bias, are really quite serious. And I don't hold out a lot of hope that we're going to be able to resolve those anytime soon. Well, my own worry on this is about who's programming the AI, because we've already seen what a government can do. And we're talking about a handful of possibly corrupt politicians twisting facts and influencing media who are their friends, who are then becoming lords. Now, I'm not going to go into another rant on this one, although I feel like doing so. But if those sort of people or army generals that want wars like we've seen in Ukraine and Russia and perhaps even China get hold of this information and use it wrongly, it's oblivion, surely. Surely. There's a thought to leave you on. It's been lovely, people. Hope you've enjoyed it. As I say, it's not a clean edited version. This one it's going out pretty much within the hour of finishing the podcast. So take it as it is. I'll be back with you soon. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show. Put your mind.
that's for sure Yeah, I'm just saying What you cry What's on your mind Not your type Well, yeah Let me remind you I'm just saying I'm just Just say